Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Promo Kitchen Podcast. If you are a new listener, the PK Podcast is a community-inspired conversation featuring guest suppliers, distributors, and service providers discussing insights into the $19 billion promotional products business. My name is Mark Graham, co-founder of Common Skew, and I'm joined by my good friend and co-host Danny Rosen, president of Brand Fuel. Our guest today is a man who needs no introduction, C.J. Smith, VP Sales of Supplier Powerhouse Hit Promotional Products. C.J. got his start at Hit as a teenager, emptying trash bins and stocking shelves. However, in recent years, he's, uh, he has evolved to be the face of the company for many of us in the promotional products industry. C.J. and his family have scaled the business over the past several decades into one of the largest and most respected suppliers in the industry. Their secret? Well, as a customer, I would say it's their relentless focus on the customer. Last fiscal year, HIT sold $180 million worth of promotional products. Friend, collaborator, supplier, innovator, and fellow Promo Kitchen chef, CJ, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Thank you. Heck of an intro. I, a, a little overboard there, but I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, I, I don't know. It was, uh, uh, I was weak today. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, CJ, why don't we start off, uh, we'll throw an easy question at you. Do you want to bring us up to speed as to uh, a little history on HIT, how your family got involved, and um, uh, just bring us up to today? Sure. Uh, my, my grandfather actually acquired the company. Um, I want to say, I don't know the exact date, but about 40 years ago. And the original company was on Fifth Avenue in New York City in Manhattan. Um, so they acquired a company called HIT and then Colton Dumont, which is at our current factory right now in Longville, Florida. And he decided it would make sense to merge the two sales forces together and the company together and moved HIT from New York City to uh, our current location. And we've been operating out of uh, Largo, Florida ever since. So, um, like I said, my grandfather acquired the company. He had no clue what this whole industry was about. And uh, he and my father were having a drink one afternoon. And, and he asked my father if he'd like to go down to Florida to run the company because it couldn't have gotten any worse. Uh, it couldn't get any worse. So, <laughs> um, he accepted. Uh, and they moved down here. And... Uh, he and my my mom and my brother and I have been running it ever since. So um, that's kind of the, the history. CJ, one of the things that uh, that I, I know I've always been fascinated by as as a distributor customer of yours over the last several years is just watching how fast you've grown. And often the way a, a distributor knows how fast a supplier has grown is by how uh, how thick their catalog is and how big their trade show booth is and how many salespeople you have. And I, I'm always curious to ask people on the podcast as to when the tipping point was for their business. Like when did you guys go from being this small-time supplier into literally one of the largest suppliers in the entire industry? Uh, good question. Uh, catching me off guard here. I, uh, I would say the goal was always, when I first started, we were doing, I want to say, 32, 33 million, and we were kind of stagnant at that for a number of years. Um, and then in 2007, we got all the way up to, I want to say, 55, and then we went up to 70 the next year. 
Um, and then when we got to 100, that's when we really said we, we, we either have to go big or go home. Mm. Um, and, and uh, as, like you said, as of last year, we, we eclipsed uh, $180 million and um, it, uh, I don't know, just <laughs> once, you, uh, once you grow, you, just, you, you want more and more and more of it, and you really can't stop. It's hard to stay stagnant. And and what do you attribute that success to, uh, CJ? Because I, I think that a lot of people on on this podcast or that are listening to this podcast, I think would be quite astonished by that kind of growth because the kind of numbers that we hear in the industry is that, yes, we're an $18, $19 billion industry, but the industry is growing maybe 3 4% a year. It's not really exponential any longer. So it's it's unusual to hear of such growth. What to what do you attribute that success to? Well, uh, several factors. We're not naive in any means. We're not the greatest things in sliced bread. So some of our competitors might not have been success, as successful. We were able to reap some of the benefits of that. Mm. Um, some went out of business. Some declined, et cetera. So we took some of that market share. Uh, being family-owned, we can make quick decisions on the spot. So we, we, we decided to invest heavily in inventory and uh, – I wouldn't say 2009 when the economy kind of hit the tank and, and, and a lot of suppliers were out of inventory, so we were able to uh, see some nice growth there uh, when, when others were, were not doing so well, unfortunately. So inventory has been key. And then we, uh, we went out and recruited and hired some of the best salespeople in their territories who already had pre-existing relationships and, and, and now had a good company to back them um, to grow with. So I would say those are the... Uh, the, the major factors, in my opinion, it's uh, it, it's always interesting to to me. Uh, I, I, certainly, outside of my role in in this industry, I like to think about um, th- th- uh, just think about what defines business success. And in your case, what's really interesting to 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 me is that. You sell a product that, for the most part, is uh, or would be defined as a very commodity-driven kind of product, the kind of thing that is available uh, uh, through a number of other channels. And it's interesting to me as to how it is, or sorry, there's a question in here. (laughs) The question is, uh, I, I suppose I should have started with that as opposed to my comment. The question is, as a supplier with a strong amount of commodity-driven goods. How have you been able to differentiate and grab that market share? Are there things beyond inventory? Because I suspect that there's challenges around pricing and um, uh, other things than just inventory that make you the go-to person for that stress toy or the the sunglasses or the baseball hat. Sure. Okay, so uh, I'll go back to 2009 again. We... uh, when people weren't investing in inventory, we did that, and we were also known as kind of a budget company, right? So we had the low end of the market, and I don't think that any of the end users have really gone back to the high-end products anymore. They're, they're, it's more of a low-end and medium-end product category that they're sourcing now. So if they had a $20 budget past it, it then became a 5 to $10 budget, and we were just in the right spot at the right time. Um, so price point. Uh, despite what anybody says, price is still king to me mm. and to our company. And we have to be very aggressive, and we do a lot of market research to make sure that we're uh, 
priced in, in, in as best or or I would say top five that that our competition has to offer. Um, and then you know service is very important too. And we didn't have the best service uh, eight ten years ago, and we we put a heavy emphasis on that. Now our computer systems have enabled us to do that in a more efficient manner where we don't have to have as many people on it. and like I said our systems kind of do it for us so to speak so I would say if we can rank them uh, inventory price service you you make uh, you make uh, reference to technology and systems uh, obviously without mentioning any specific names there have mm -hmm. been several high-profile challenges uh, in our industry, specifically on the supplier side, where uh, large, uh, uh, complex companies in our industry have really struggled implementing technology and applying these uh, ERP systems to, uh, to improve their businesses. Um, and HIT is, is an equally complex business. Uh, yet your technology, and, and I, I know uh, Eric, and he's a, a phenomenal guy, uh, your CTO, um, is there, uh, to, to what do you, uh, or, sorry, my, my question is, why is it that technology has worked so well for you and hasn't for so many other people? And is there advice that you would give to a growing supplier that is looking to uh, take control of their systems and use technology to really help them as opposed to hurt them? Sure. Well, you brought Eric's name up, and he, he's just, uh, just been a fantastic addition to our company. He started about a year prior to uh, when I did, and he uh, he's a, he's, I want to say, I think he's 33 years old and just uh, about as smart as they come. I, I mean, there's, a, there's there's few out there like him. So I can have the craziest idea in the world if he can implement it in a week. Um, so just the right – we, we actually call him our CIO, Chief Information Officer. And uh, just having a person that I can work with that actually has a business sense, too. I bring him on sales calls. He comes out to a lot of the shows with us. He interacts with our customers and, and their – uh, key IT people, and that's extremely helpful to kind of understand how we really can integrate our systems together, uh, what we can do to um, basically customize or conform to some of our larger customers to make the, the transactions less costly. Um, I hope that answers that question for you. So as it relates to that specific point when you talk about customers is that is that um integrating um from um an EDI perspective and is that something that you see rolling out to mid-sized and smaller distributors as well in order to streamline your operation we we would love that but uh i don't think that that's the case and some of the larger distributors were were, were not there yet um and, and not not to their fault or to our fault, we uh, we had a lot of cleaning up to do on our end as well. Our data wasn't the greatest in the world, uh, but we put a heavy emphasis on cleaning that data up, and uh, we're integrated with about eight customers now, and um, it, it really just eliminates a lot of the, the, the transactional costs, and, and uh, the orders just literally flow through our system right out to the floor without, without any human communication whatsoever. Right. Uh, we basically, what I'm trying to say is we have about 80% of the work done 
and about 20% of the, the, the work would be customized to the particular distributor we're dealing with. That's an impressive, uh, an impressive percentage there. So there's that much customization. 20% of the business is really invested in that. Well, let's just think about think about a pen for an example, right? There's three look you can imprint on the barrel. Say it's you can imprint on the bottom of the barrel, the top of the barrel, and on the clip. We we there's just so much. There's so many variables um, there. You can do a one color imprint. A lot of people are able to do full color prints on, on on items now. So there's so many different with with a company with the the breadth of a line that we have. There's so many variables on how and variations on printing methods and such, so we really had to clean that up, and it, it, took a, it took a good chunk of people and a good amount of money to do that. Mm -hmm. what's, in, what's interesting to me is, and, and you guys were gracious in, in giving some folks from, uh, from Brand Fuel a tour a couple weeks ago. We really enjoyed it. Thanks so much. Um, it was fun, but it was truly educational, and, um, and you know, we shot some videos and posted them, and we got a lot of comments, even from, from our staff, who I think happen to be, uh, you know, some old codgers in the industry, been around for 8, 10, 12, 15 years, and, and they hadn't seen some of the, uh, the printing that you guys were doing there. And, and one thing that I noticed about this concept of, like, sort of merging into technology and managing your business with the newest, latest, and greatest is that the warehouses were really optimized in so many incredible ways with um, just the way business flows inside there. Um, coupled with the, the technology, the equipment, uh, the, the folks who were working, how they were trained, uh, really, really impressive stuff. And yet, on the flip side, we go back to the offices that I think had been there since I don't even know when. But there's like the, the green shag carpet, and um, I felt tall in your offices, um, and, and it felt it felt anachronistic in a way. Um, but it was beautiful because it was it was almost as if the importance was put on technology and process and getting stuff out for the customer. It didn't matter as much that you guys had the green shack carpet and then changed that out. Is yeah, that true? That, that, that's true, and that's, uh, that's how we operate over when we buy overseas, too. We, we, we don't need to go to the fanciest offices in the world to go buy our product. We actually would prefer that that wasn't the case, so there wasn't some hidden cost built into the price. So. Um, you bring that up, but we're actually building a. Uh, we've outgrown our facility, um, and we're we're pretty uh, superstitious, so it's going to be hard for us to move. But it's a necessity now, so we're going to be moving just right across the street, our offices, um, to a brand new building. But we're we're actually bringing a lot of those green carpets and such over. Um, that's good. And, and got got to keep it, the corporate culture. That's right. Keeping it cost efficient in there, and, and investing in equipment, and inventory, and such to. Uh, I mean, to be honest, it really doesn't matter if uh, we're not bringing end users into our facility too often, so it doesn't really matter what our what our offices look like. Yeah. Get well, I um I, I really enjoyed that, and and it was I enjoyed the fact that maybe you weren't investing in that, but in, in the other part of your business, and, and it was so customer centric. Um, but I also enjoyed uh, meeting your mom, just running to your mom by chance, and then walking around the corner into your dad's office and seeing a a framed. Uh, print or poster of her wearing a visor from like 1972 as a model for HIT back then. I, it was CD and HIT. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, so that, you know, made me smile and, and we, we got a chuckle out of that and she's a, a lovely woman and, and I think, gosh, working with my mom in the business, let's ask you a question about, you know, the, the family affair and how all that works and maybe some advice for those and I, there, there's so many who are running family businesses in our industry. 
So we're the Bickersons, but, but we have minor arguments every day. Um, but at the end of the day, we are family, and uh, we, we, we kind of forget um, some of the hardships that we had, some of the arguments that we had at the end of the day. We all meet and talk, and, and uh, you know, it, it, it's been great. I, I've been truly blessed, and I know a lot of people say that, but I, I really feel that way. I've been given a fantastic opportunity, and uh, I've, I've tried to take advantage of that. And um, are there are there hardships? Are there pain points? Absolutely, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, you get to you get to work with your mom and dad every day, and, and brother. It's, it's it's fantastic. So I love it. I wouldn't change it. What what advice would you give for for people in those family businesses? Maybe some more stuff, some just takeaways. Um, and I think, and I've got a business partner here, Mark. You're you're working with your wife day in and day out. Um, what are some of the things, the takeaways that you can give to some folks listening right now? Uh, don't don't take anything personally. Um, my my family's from the Northeast, so I I kind of got that ingrained in me a little bit. Um, they're going to say some things that you don't like, and you're going to say some things that they don't like. Um, but like I just said, at the end of the day, your family. And um, business is business, and you got to treat it that way. And uh, I just went over to my parents' house for Thanksgiving, and of course we talk a little business here and there. But it's it, you know we sit down and watch football and eat, have other family in there that don't have no clue what our business is all about. And uh, you got to take those times and really cherish them, and, and keep business kind of out of it, um, and just really focus on it during the week when you're there. Yeah, Danny, Danny, I think it's such a great, great question, and and I, I mean, I just, ref, I, I suppose I, I'm asked that question a lot on on this end, and and CJ, I would completely agree with you with what you said, and I think that as I reflect on the challenges that I have with Catherine, I mean, hey, I'm saying this in public, I would say it's all my fault, of course. But uh, it, it's it's often when we're stepping on one of those toes. And I think that the best kind of days in our business is a day where we don't see each other. Uh, not that we don't work and collaborate really well with each other, but it's just the working in separate sides of the company, I feel, uh, has, has made for a really great working relationship. So that way we're not stepping on the toes. Uh, we collaborate where we need to, but we're also uh, domain experts in our own particular area. So that's that's what I would say to that. But I, I know certainly with you, Danny, well, you and Robert aren't related. You might as well be because you you act like brothers uh, whenever I see you guys. And uh, how you've grown your company is is something that I think uh, is a real model for, for and, and an example to other people. And, I appreciate and that. To, to add to that, you know, Mark, we uh, we're lucky to have a very good uh, VP of manufacturing that oversees all our plants and. The brother said something really, really important to him when he when he was uh, he, he took over the role about four years ago. He told him you have to live this business, like we do. Our family lives this business, and and, and he's done so, and, and that's really enabled him to succeed. And and he's he's ingrained in our business, and he is part of our family. My dad calls him the third kid, so um, it's uh, you, you have to get your other employees to feel that way too, and. and and, and, and as a family business, you have to have the family atmosphere. And my dad taught me a lot. Uh, when I first started, he literally walked the floor every day with three different uh, operations, as Danny saw and Mark, you've seen it too. Mm. And he, he knows 60% of their names, which is incredible to me. Um, 
so we want we want all our people to feel like they're part of our family. Yeah. CJ, just switching gears here. Um, we're we're in a in a pretty traditional, mature industry, and we've done business uh, as as an industry uh, in in much the same way for the last several decades. Are there and 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 that's that's a great thing about this industry on many levels, um, but it, it, there's also challenges with that approach. Um, you see a lot of people in this industry, given that you're such a large supplier, what innovative business models are you seeing these days that you didn't see when you first got into the business? Can you elaborate on that? Or, you, you, or, uh, or sorry, if I, if I rephrase, um, are you seeing um, the traditional business model uh, in, in this industry has typically been a distributor is buying product from a supplier and then the supplier is then shipping that product to the end user. Um, and, and, that, and that's a model that still dominates the industry. Um, are you starting to see different models today? Uh, and how are they different than they were when you first got into the industry? You know, not so much. That's always under speculation that um, suppliers are going direct to end users or um, distributors are going overseas directly themselves, and that doesn't happen as much as we all think it does, too. So, you know, I, I don't think – I think that this model really works. I was just uh, – I'm actually at a wedding today um, and, and talking with one of my friends that doesn't understand our business. and. What I told him, and he asked me, well, why can't I buy direct from you? And I told him I'd rather have 100,000 sales reps out there doing this than try to reach uh, all the end users available. So we, we cherish the uh, the traditional model, and I, I honestly don't see it changing in the near future. And, and, and that this, this topic is brought up at all the power summits and NALCs and smaller conferences, and, and, and nothing's changed so far unless you guys speak otherwise. But um, – uh, you know, th there's been some people that have entered our business, right, um, that have a different model, but uh, to kind of shake it up a little bit and, and without naming names, um, it, it brought some it brought some heat to the equation, but nothing's really changed, right. in my estimation. Right. So. I mean, on that note, uh, a question that, that uh, we, we've asked some suppliers on the podcast in the last little while is, uh, their view of an Amazon or Amazon themselves, if they set up shop as either a supplier or as a distributor in this business, what impact do you think that that would have? Is, is, is that the thing that would fundamentally change how this business operates or, or would it be no big deal given how large and, and, uh, and diversified this industry is? I, I mean, Again, I don't want to throw names out there, but uh, when, when Cafe Press was the next big thing, it, it, you know, we we thought the whole business model would change, and that that, that unless I'm crazy, that hasn't happened yet. Right. Um, I, I I honestly still think that at the end of the day, people like to do business with people, right? Even if I'm dealing with an e-commerce company, I still have to have the relationship with that company in order to integrate our systems together, to work closely together, etc. Yeah. That guy still has to pick up the phone and talk to somebody and 
you'll see more and more of them going out and actually making sales calls face-to-face because they find that method effective. So I think it's going to be a high, more, more so of a hybrid yep. um, of an e-commerce and a mom and – I don't want to even say mom and pop, a brick-and-mortar face-to-face relationship, but it, that, that's – that's still very important, both in this industry and outside this industry, uh, interaction with some of my um, pers- uh, uh, close personal friends. You know, it's it, it's so interesting you say that, CJ. I, I had the opportunity to speak to uh, um, a distributor that has an, um, a, a fairly decent-sized uh, online presence, and this particular person was saying to me that 90% of his quote-unquote online business is actually transacted through email or through the customer calling up and saying, hi, I'm on your website. Can I have a quote for these sunglasses? And then that distributor then goes and prepares a formal presentation just like a traditional distributor would do and then uh, collects payment and then goes into production. So it's it's really interesting, uh, just as a side note, that, uh, that, that certainly the online players have introduced a level of innovation, but how things are ultimately processed on the back end, there's <laughs> there's literally no difference. So I uh, correct. I think I think it's well, really it's, fascinating. It's a beautiful thing for an existing customer to go in and, and be able to place an order online. It's easier for the end user to do that. But to get to that point, there's a lot of back end work, a lot of emails, a lot of phone calls that have been made. Yeah. Um, so that's a, that's a, that's a great point. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, absolutely. So uh, well, here's a question for you. I was just thinking about, you know, we've got Expo and, um, and ASI Orlando, and all the big shows are coming up in January 2014. And um, I don't know if you're willing to do a little bit of a reveal here, something special for podcast listeners who pick this up, um, you know, pre-show, and, and maybe uh, you guys could share some trends, maybe some new technologies in printing that you're going to reveal, any new products, things you're excited about uh, that you're going to be doing in 2014. You willing to share some stuff with us, CJ? Sure. There's not really a, a whole lot that we get into, and, and that brings up a good point on, on, our, on where our growth has come from. So we've never really been a company that wants to acquire companies. We kind of just get into product categories. Um, this year for us is uh, we, over the past two years, let's say, and this year we'll, we'll, we'll be, I think, really good at it. Is uh, the personal care and amenity section? Uh, we've added uh, an absorbent amount of products. I want to say 50 to 60 new products in that category, and I think that's going to be our, our big uh, growth sector. Um, and then also, we've seen a big shift into the electronic products with all the the uh, PDAs and. and phones and innovations in, 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 in that area, too. So those are the two um, categories that we, uh, we we put a heavy emphasis on and, and we'll be focusing on this year. Um, That's great. And any, any specific products you're excited about bringing to market? Not, not really. I'm really interested to see... Uh, Everyone's familiar with the clear bags that are required at uh, NFL sporting events now. Um, uh-huh. So we've brought in a, a good amount of different options there, and I think that's going to spring into other sports areas, to the school market. So I, I'm interested to see how well that takes off. Um, that's, that's the only, I, I think, really, <laughs> we, we haven't done a whole lot of innovation there. 
I guess some of the some of the electronic products we call it Hitronics um, are pretty neat. But I'm I'm a 31 year old kid, and uh, I see that in everyday life. So I guess it's not that that cool to me. Mm -hmm. That stuff translates in corporate markets pretty well. I'll tell you, your uh, our rep um, for our region, Julie, um, is she walks in and, and dazzles us with these products a little differently than you do. And I, I wanted to let you know, you, <laughs> your Road Warriors are doing a good job getting us excited cool. about some of this stuff. But um, your NFL comment, maybe uh, some sort of metaphor there that you guys are doing a really good job of block and tackling on product lines <laughs> that are. <laughs> that are coming out, you know, they may not be all glitzy and glamorous or whatever, but they're they're solid, and, and obviously you guys are just experiencing great growth, so congratulations. Thank you, it works, yeah. Uh, CJ, what, uh, so if, if if you were speaking to uh, a small supplier, someone who was just getting their start in this industry, what would you tell them if if they wanted to, grow to the same kind of success that you have? I mean, obviously, it's not going to be overnight, but what advice would you give to to a supplier that wanted to achieve success in the in the promotional products industry? Well, I, I, I think I said it prior. You, gotta, you have to live your business, and it's yeah. got to be number one priority in your life. Um, and then, you know, I, when, when I first started, and you and I kind of talked about this before we were on the call, uh, I, I mean, I really traveled the country and got to know what markets, what the, what, what distributors, who I needed to speak to, I needed to become tight with, um, and develop these relationships. And not only with customers, but you've been able to recruit some really good salespeople because I became friendly with them and, and, and vice versa. So um, really, really put yourself out there. And... Don't be afraid to get involved in networking events, and, and you have to you have to be um, that outgoing type A personality. In my in my opinion, that's what worked for me. I, I know that uh, before the podcast started, CJ, we were talking about this uh, uh, this this idea of relationship selling, and uh, I know that in this age, this day and age, where there's the technology and social media and computer talk is so prevalent, but it's it's amazing to me how even in 2013 that really what it comes down to is relationship selling. And maybe other industries are different, but certainly in this industry, it continues to be that. And I certainly know in in our distributor business and certainly Danny in your distributor business a lot of it comes down to relationships but if there's anyone in this industry who has written the book on relationship selling it's you like you're I said in my introduction you're you're the face of hit for so many of us in the industry like you're the guy with just with 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 the quick smile and the genuine you know care uh, care for other people and it's my that, that's my comment but my question CJ is that You'd think that that approach wouldn't scale, right? You'd think that okay. a, a guy who is really great at relationships wouldn't be able to build a business as as as, as big as you have done. Yet mm -hmm. you've been able to scale that relationship-based selling. Do you have any comments about that? Because sure. I, I, I think it's it, you're very unusual in that respect, and take that as a compliment, obviously. Thank you. I like being unusual. Um, so yeah, yeah that's. It's very helpful to have three family members that are behind the scenes doing a lot of the work to help out. I mean, uh, I, I would 
venture to say my brother's probably the best buyer there is out in the, in the industry, and that's biased, but he's actually he's excellent at what he does. So um, he has his area specialty. My dad's the same, and my mom the same, and I'm kind of a hybrid of all three of them. So um, that's a unique advantage where four people care about their business, like in most cases one person does. Um, so that's been... I, I guess that's made it easier for me to go out and travel, and knowing that we have a factory that's going to get the stuff out, and, and, and I'm going to deliver what I promised. Um, and I like to say I over over promise and over deliver. Um, There's the adage of under promise and over deliver, but I like to I like to throw it out there, and 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 it, it hasn't stopped us yet. So um, the team behind the team behind us is. Uh, has just done a fantastic job, and, and that, that's kind of differentiated us, I can say. So, CJ, uh, is there anything else that you would like to uh, talk about as we wind down the, the 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 podcast? Is there something that you can give us uh, some kind of insight into what kind of company or what kind of industry? I know this is a tough question, but we'll end on a tough one. What kind of company right, yeah. or what kind of industry will hit? promotional products or our industry look like in 10 years? I mean, is it, is, are, are we going to be a $40 billion business? Uh, are, are we going to, is, is Danny Rosen going to sit atop as the largest distributor in this industry? Like what, <laughs> what, what's it going to look like? We're jumping the shark here right now. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I, I know where you live, man. I've been there. I know where that new warehouse is. We drove up in there with your Jeep or whatever it was. <laughs> this is it's like a rocket ship, I think. Yeah. You know, everyone keeps everyone keeps saying that there's going to be this big change in this. I, I I see it being status quo and gradually taking away from some of the other advertising mediums. Um, we from the statistics I read, we've been continued to grow quite a bit. Um, from 2009, and gradually, and I, I think that'll continue to progress. But as far as the, 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 the dynamics, not so much. The only thing I could foresee is possibly, and this is just very hypothetical, some of the larger suppliers truly partnering up with some of the larger distributors out there and integrating their systems and and, and possibly only doing business with with their select 250 to 300 to 500 accounts, but but that's way down the road. And and uh, and I think Danny and I kind of touched on that when he was visiting me, uh, visiting our factory. So that's the only thing. But I, I really think that this model works. Uh, I like it. We like it. Our company likes it. And why uh, why fix it if it's if it's not broke? On on that note, I was. I, I know you wanted a more, I know you wanted a more rogue answer there, but that's that's really how I feel. No, not not at all. I mean, I think what's fascinating about this conversation, CJ, and I know I've been sort of needling you a little bit on the question department is is uh, is is that um, it's it's nice to be reminded. I mean, I and I say this quite genuinely. I think it's nice to be reminded that one can build. A truly monstrous business and a fast-growing business by adhering to classic business principles, right? Like you're not necessarily sharing some sort of black box, magical, whiz-bang uh, theory with us as to how the business has grown. 
but you guys yeah. have executed, at least this is from my perspective as a customer of yours, um, that you've executed really, really well and you've, you've adhered to some pretty basic principles that are quite timeless and classic. So I, I, I think that's pretty, pretty cool. Um, and, uh, and, and, and certainly very, uh, very inspiring. There you go. Great. I'm, I'm glad you like that. Yeah. I mean, that it is, it's, I guess we've been in it so long. Uh, you know, my father's been running it for over 35 years now, so I guess we've been in it so long that it, it worked, and, and we're just going to stick with tradition for the time being. Not, not that we're not, we're, we're not being innovative in, in areas of technology and products and such, but the the basic business model works really well for us. Well, the, I think the lesson that I would take away from this, CJ, is. Uh, and, and this is absolutely a theme that we have pursued in some of the other podcasts with both distributors and and suppliers is that I think the magic happens when A, you know your business, number two, you know what you're really good at, number, number three, you know who your customers are, and number four, you just execute really well and I, not I, getting I like distracted. Yeah, I like the word execution. That's that's a that's a good word. I, I would say that that's very important. Um, and deliver, execute, and deliver. That, those are those are two key components. So. Yeah, absolutely. Danny, is there anything else that you'd uh, you'd like to throw in uh, before we sign off here, my friend? Uh, yeah, I have two things. Um, one is I, well, I was being quiet there for a second. I'm, I'm, I'm just talking about family bonds and stuff. I was getting a little misty-eyed there, CJ. Thanks for that. Sure. Um, it, it is. It's nice to to hear someone talk about their their parents in that way and work with them and have that actually be a, a mutual success. So congrats again there. Um, my other comment is about a, a book I read called Common Sur or Uncommon Service. And uh, it talks, I think, a little bit about what you guys are doing. And I just, you know, check it out. But um, it, it's the, the premise for the book is essentially, you know, pick one core thing that you're really good at, you know. And, and, and you mentioned several. Um, execution may be that thing that you're focused on. Could be customer service. Could be price, you know, customer experience, whatever it would be. And, and, and focus on that and be willing to fail at everything else. And that's a really hard proposition for most businesses and, and business owners, for sure. Um, but they go through a, a, an inordinate amount of examples of where this is really successful. And one area is uh, in Southwest Airlines, where they have said that price is the most important thing for that airline, that they feel like that the market is dictating a need for the best price on, in, in the air, and that people are willing to give up amenities and on-time planes, airfare, air travel for that better price. And of course they're you know they're a leader in the in the space. And and so they're willing to fail with all these other things because if we try and be everything to everyone, come up with a new technology in the industry and, and new branding and we're going to market a different way and, and how we manage our business and all these different ways and try and serve everyone uh, with everything, we find mediocrity. And um, and I thought that was sort of a it, it reminds me of what Hits doing so much, and I think that's one reason why you guys are experiencing growth, and you should be a case study in that book. By God, uh, have him call me. Okay, I will. <laughs> we'll, we'll do a pod, we'll do a podcast. Great. No, we've been talking about doing this for a long time, and and uh, to throw a shout out to Promo Kitchen, I mean it's been a really 
nice thing. I'm not as involved in it as I'd like to be, but um, what you guys are doing is, is, is different, and um, I appreciate being involved with it. So this, this is cool. I, I really appreciate being involved in the podcast too. Thanks for your support. Well, CJ, this has been this has been a real highlight, and really appreciate the time that you've taken to uh, share this experience with us. We'll certainly have a great time in Vegas, and we look forward to uh, getting the podcast up before the show in Vegas. So that way, if there's people that have questions for you, they can track you down at the House of Blues. Sweet. All right. Well, thanks. Thanks for your time, guys, and uh, have a great weekend. You too. Have a good wedding. All right. right, See you. Absolutely. Take care.